we the jury find the defendant, John Ortiz Beagle, guilty of first degree premeditating <laughs> Hello, this is a prepaid debit call from John Kehoe, an inmate at the Michigan Department of Corrections, Muskegon Correctional Facility. From a 7 by 10 foot cell of a Michigan prison, I am John Ortiz Kehoe and welcome to Creating a Cannibal. Creating a Cannibal is a podcast dedicated to exposing the truth behind the wrongful conviction that left me labeled as a monster and sent me to die in prison. Now, for the first time, you are about to hear the true story of what happened inside and outside of the courtroom. I'll reveal the names of witnesses who took the stand and tell you what they said. You'll find out who was actually involved and learn about the role they played in framing me for a crime I didn't commit. For 20 years, I was silenced by the concrete walls and razor wire that surrounds me. And for 20 years, the media ran with the one-sided version of this case, a version that is full of distorted evidence and outright lies. They gave you sensational headlines, but me, I'm giving you the truth. Here it is, what so many of you keep asking for, Besides the story that for some reason people think has never been told, but I revealed what happened 20 years ago. It's just that my side of the story has been suppressed by the media and these fake forensic shows who only want to force feed the public a one-sided bowl of bullshit. So after you hear exactly what the jury heard, you decide for yourself what makes more sense. This is Creating a Cannibal, Episode 10. John speaks. John Ortiz Kehoe sat patiently in a jail cell, waiting for the bailiff to escort him into the courtroom. His trial was midway through, and it was time for him to take the stand in his own defense. Moments before the day's proceeding was scheduled to begin, the bailiff entered John's cell, accompanied by defense attorney Jerome Sabota. Attorney Jerome Sabota told John, that assistant prosecutor Kelsey was offering him a deal. According to attorney Sabota, if John would plead guilty to second-degree murder, he would not receive a mandatory life sentence without the possibility of parole. However, if he accepted the deal, John would be required to testify against Bill Brown, and implicate him in the murder. John instructed his attorney, to tell assistant prosecutor Kelsey, he could go fuck himself. Soon thereafter, John was led into the courtroom, and defense attorney Jerome Sabota called him to the stand. John testified, that he, Bill Brown, and Shelley Wood, drove from Lansing, Michigan to Grand Rapids, Michigan, and delivered five pounds of marijuana to his brother. John said, they were all smoking marijuana during their trip, and it was Brown alone, who was consuming cocaine. John confirmed, that Bill Brown wanted to have sex with Shelley Wood, but Ms. Wood was not interested. As a result, Bill Brown got angry, and demanded he be taken home. When John pulled up in front of the Brown family's house, he spotted Ms. Larner standing on the front porch. John said, he dropped Bill Brown off, and drove away.
because he knew Ms. Larner would pick a fight with Shelley Wood. Soon after taking Shelley Wood home, John received a page from Bill Brown. John said he called Brown back, from a gas station payphone, located near the corner of Mount Hope, and Cedar Street. John told Bill Brown, that he was on his way home. Bill Brown wanted John to come back, so they could both have sex with Ms. Larner. John testified that he refused Bill Brown's request at first, but after listening to Brown's persistent nagging, John ultimately gave in, and returned to pick up Ms. Larner and Bill Brown. The trio drove from Lansing to Albion, Michigan, while they smoked hollowed-out cigars, that were refilled with marijuana. They eventually pulled over, and parked the truck behind a bowling alley located just outside of town. The trio sat inside of the truck smoking marijuana until Bill Brown asked Ms. Larner, if she wanted to do some cocaine with him. Ms. Larner enthusiastically agreed, and the two snorted lines of cocaine, while John smoked marijuana. John said, that after Ms. Larner consumed the cocaine, she took her clothes off and climbed on top of him. John and Ms. Larner then began to have sex while Bill Brown watched. The truck's interior became too cramped for the couple, so John opened the door and stepped outside. The couple never broke their stride as John stood behind Ms. Larner, who was leaning over the seat into the cab of the truck. Bill Brown, exposed himself and started masturbating. Suddenly, Brown snapped. He impulsively grabbed Ms. Larner by the hair, and told her to suck his dick. In retaliation, Ms. Larner bit Bill Brown's leg, and told him to quit. John said, he pulled Ms. Larner away from Bill Brown, and the couple moved to the bed of the truck. After having sex with Ms. Larner, John said, he was exhausted, and he didn't have the energy for the drive back to Lansing. John knew, that the key to his grandparents' house was clipped to the keychain in the truck's ignition. With his grandparents in Arizona for the winter, John drove to their home in Albion. John said, that he and Ms. Larner, had spent the night at his grandparents' home four or five times before. Therefore, once the trio arrived at the house, John and Ms. Larner went to the bedroom they usually slept in. After flopping onto the bed, John fell asleep, while Bill Brown and Ms. Larner continued consuming cocaine. John said, he was awakened by Ms. Larner fondling him, and he and Ms. Larner then had sex again. When the couple were finished, John grabbed a bottle of brandy from out of the liquor cabinet, and the trio took their party to the basement of the house. It didn't take long for John and Ms. Larner to resume their sexual activities. And once again, Bill Brown consumed cocaine, while he watched and pleasured himself. As John and Ms. Larner were having sex, Bill Brown was making obscene comments. Brown instructed John to slap Ms. Larner, and then asked her if she liked it. Brown was also begging the couple to allow him to join in. When John was asked, if he or Ms. Larner replied to Bill Brown's repeated requests, John said, that he and Ms. Larner, simply ignored Bill Brown until they were done. When John and Ms. Larner finally took a break, the couple cuddled on the couch, as they shared a marijuana-filled cigar. Bill Brown was frustrated with how the night was panning out. In an attempt to win Ms. Larner over, Bill Brown dumped an excessive amount of cocaine onto an end table next to the couch, and told Ms. Larner she could have as much as she wanted. 
while her attention was focused on the cocaine. Brown motioned for John to step away. John got up to retrieve a towel for Ms. Larner, and Brown followed him into the laundry room. Bill Brown whispered to John, that Ms. Larner would not have sex with him while he was watching. John explained to the jury, that Bill Brown, wanted him to leave. At the time, John thought nothing of Bill Brown's request. Ms. Larner grew up with Bill Brown, and the two had spent countless hours with each other. Therefore, John decided that he would leave, and get something to eat. John said, if Ms. Larner wanted to have sex with Bill Brown while he was gone, she was more than welcome to do so. John asked Ms. Larner if she wanted something from McDonald's. Ms. Larner, who still hadn't put her clothes on, seemed to be more interested in consuming cocaine with Bill Brown, than leaving with John. She told him to grab her some fries and a coke. Before he left the house, John informed Ms. Larner, that she could take a shower in the bathroom at the top of the stairs. When John left, she did not protest his departure. John said, he drove to a nearby McDonald's, where he purchased a meal deal for himself, and some extra food for Ms. Larner and Bill Brown from the drive through window. John ate his food in the truck, and stalled for about an hour, in order to give Bill Brown time to have sex with Ms. Larner. He then smoked an after-meal blunt, as he drove back to his grandparents' home. John testified, that he entered the house through a side door connected to the garage. When he stepped inside, Bill Brown poked his head out from inside of the bathroom, and then disappeared back inside. John said he walked straight to the bathroom, wondering what Bill Brown was up to. John told the jury, he found Ms. Larner's lifeless body, laying face down in the shower. Stunned by the sight he had walked in on, John said, he asked Bill Brown what the fuck happened. Bill Brown still quite high on cocaine, said it was an accident. Attorney Jerome Sabota, asked John why he didn't call the police. John answered, that he didn't call the police, partly out of fear of retaliation from the Brown family, and partly because he knew, the police would more than likely blame him, for Ms. Larner's death. John said, that instead of calling the police, he told Bill Brown everything was cool, and he was straight. John did call his friend Samuel, who at the time, was in the process of becoming a police officer. Under the perilous nature of the predicament he was in, John admitted, that he could not think straight. John said he called his friend Samuel, thinking he and Samuel may be able to either subdue Bill Brown, or get out of the house together. However, when Samuel showed up to the house with his girlfriend Tamara, John said he abandoned the idea of telling Samuel what happened. Instead, John asked Samuel and Tamara if he could leave the house with them. Samuel told John, that he would come back later and pick him up. John knew, that Samuel never intended on coming back. After Samuel and Tamara left, Bill Brown told John, they were going to get rid of Ms. Larner's body, at his parents' property up north. John said, that Bill Brown wanted to cut off Ms. Larner's hands, in order to get rid of her fingerprints, but he would not allow Brown to do it, inside of his grandparents' house. John admitted, that the two men cleaned the house thoroughly, before placing Ms. Larner's body into a plastic barrel, and loading the barrel into his mother's car.
that was parked in the garage. John told the jury, that when he and Bill Brown finally made it to the Browns Lakeside property, and built a bonfire, he fell asleep, while Bill Brown tended to the burning of Ms. Larner's body. John confirmed, that the men scattered Ms. Larner's ashes in various locations, as they drove to his brother's house in Big Rapids, Michigan. John testified, that he never told his brother what happened to Ms. Larner, and when Bill Brown finally fell asleep, John drove his mother's car back to Albion, and retrieved his brother's truck. Defense attorney Jerome Sabota thanked John for his testimony, and told Judge Miller he had not further questions. Assistant Prosecutor Kelsey was then allowed to proceed with his cross-examination. And that's the version of this case you're not being told. A truth that gets buried by the reruns of dramatized crime shows produced and packaged to sugarcoat the image of a corrupt and systemically racist American justice system. They never wanted you to hear from me, because it's me as a monster that brings in the viewers and keeps the public questioning the veracity of my conviction. So even though nothing Bill Brown said adds up, because of my conviction, his story is believed by most people. And to this day, the media has refused to let you hear my side of the story, to allow you to judge for yourself who's telling the truth. Now, you can. Next time, in episode 11, Cross and Rebuttal. Thank you for listening to Creating a Cannibal, an MRI production. Make sure you follow me on social media and check out my blog for a more in-depth look at how I was framed. Creating a Cannibal is a podcast produced under Emeron Productions. Gerardo G. Gonzalez Jr., Robert D. Tab, and Lucas Sampson are editorial advisors. Emerald Santos, our executive producer and the one who mixed our show. Our theme music are Ride the Mighty High composed by John Ortiz Quijote himself and Nothing Doing composed by Ari De Niro. Our website is creatingacannibal.wordpress.com. Special thanks to Mr. John Ortiz Quijote for sharing his side of story. Also visit John's blog website where you can see documents from the case, johnortiz-quijote.blogspot.com.